0: If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along. And just uh, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, just go ahead and put your hand up, and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use for this service. And um, if you are receiving a Bible and you do not have a Bible of your own. Your own Will you please keep this Bible and get into it, read it, study it. This is the Word of God, and we're going to look at this Word of God for a while here together. Um, just a reminder that coming up in just two weeks' time, um, we are going to be blessed with the presence of Minnesota Adult Team Challenge. Um, they're going to be here. Look for details in your bulletin about what to bring because we celebrate here with them. We do a big lunch that they really, really appreciate that they, uh, that they hear about. Um, we do have a reputation at Team Challenge, and it's a good one. Um, I was there just a couple of weeks ago. I got to go to Minnesota Team Challenge and speak in their chapel service to all of their residents there. And um, it was a real delight. It's just so encouraging to see. God bring hope into the lives of those who are going through uh, addiction issues and that kind of thing. Um, There's so much that he does there through that ministry and I I really want us to be as supportive as we possibly can. So keep that uh, on your calendar in two weeks. Come. Be ready to to come with food and be ready to really come around uh, those who are going through the Teen Challenge program and encourage them greatly. Uh, We get to do that together and that's a a great thing. Um, What Mike and Leah, just on here, dedicating Brim to the Lord is such a great starting point for our message this morning. Um, As parents, they've made some very positive statements here. Statements about their vision for their daughter and for themselves as parents and for their household. Um, Through the dedication of their child, they've also dedicated themselves to being the parents that God desires them to be. Uh, This is no small thing when we dedicate our children. It really is not. God has heard their statements just like we have, and in many ways they have made a covenant with God before their church regarding Brin and their future. and they are serious about these things, and their statements represent the vision that they have, a vision that they will work to see accomplished in Brin's life. So what's left is for them to follow through on their commitment, and I know that they will. This morning, I want to talk for a while about the commitments we make and God's desire that we follow through on those commitments with integrity. So let's get into God's word and see what He has to say about our words and how those words represent our commitments. So turn in, turn to to Matthew chapter five in your Bibles. Um, there's a phrase I've repeated weekly for over five months now. Turn to Matthew chapter five. <laughs> for that. I was a little self-conscious about that at first. um, That self-consciousness is totally gone. Now, this chapter and the whole Sermon on the Mount that Jesus spoke is a deep, deep pool. And it's a pool that I want to swim in and explore, and that's what we're doing together. Um, The Bible's full of pools like this. After this message, we're going to leave the Sermon on the Mount for a little while. We have some different things going on between now and the end of the year, um, but we'll come back to Jesus' words again in January and pick up where we left off. Um, Feel free to read ahead a few verses during that time if you want to. One of the great things that I've discovered as we've explored this sermon is the evidence that exists of Jesus' devotion to his Father's laws. As we've dissected each topic that Jesus tackled in Matthew 5, we've seen how he takes the minds of his listeners back to God's original design and intent. This has brought meaning to Jesus' statements earlier in the chapter about having come to fulfill God's laws, not to do away with it. He's spending a considerable amount of time here reestablishing God's laws rather than replacing them or doing away with them. And and we saw that last week. Jesus didn't introduce a new heavenly standard on divorce. He went right back to God's original declaration and set that declaration firmly in the minds of his listeners. We can see him do this over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount here, more than anywhere else that I've looked recently, we can see that balance between law and grace in the words of Jesus Christ. And the church has struggled with this balance for a long time. Um, at points, the church has been too legalistic, emphasizing the law side of God's Word. And at other points, the church has put too much emphasis on the side of grace, making it appear as if Jesus came to do away with God's laws altogether. But again, this morning you'll hear Jesus speak something that His Father established long ago, rebuke the ways in which His Father's words have been distorted, reestablish those words, and then add His own authority as He guides the heart of man into the transformation that ought to be taking place in them. My desire is to to maintain that balance as your pastor in my teaching role here. My intention, my prayer, is to shine a light on God's standard while also revealing to you the grace that God demonstrates to us as we struggle to maintain His standard. All along, I want to be a reminder to you that it is God's Spirit at work in us to transform us into the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is not about us being good people. It's about us surrendering to that transforming work of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, in so, the last two Sundays we spent time on the issue of divorce, uh, and I appreciate the continued dialogue that resulted. Um, thank you for that. I, I don't have all the answers, so let's continue to process these things together, and I'll share as I grow in my understanding. And last week I shared a lot of new perspective with you, and I'm praying that we're all growing this way and are able to talk about how we're growing, what we're learning. Jesus talked about divorce in Matthew 5 31 and 32. Once again, he started his words on divorce with a reference to what the people at that time were hearing from the religious teachers of the day. Now, here in his words on integrity, he also references some distortions of the truth that were being taught. He starts this section with the words, Again, you have heard. So let's read Matthew five thirty-three to 37 Jesus says, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. More correction, more strong words, more perspective from Jesus here. This time on the subject of integrity, specifically on the use of oaths. The use of oaths was not a new practice in the culture of Jesus' day. Oaths had been around for a long time and they were not considered a bad thing originally. God himself had established the use of oaths. In the book of Genesis, we're already seeing oaths being used. For what purpose? Well, invoking the name of God originally added some gravity to your words. They made them binding. People would make a statement, and then using the name of one higher than themselves, God, they would essentially build a fence around that statement, using words to declare that this was a binding statement. They were serious about this, and they wanted their listeners to take their statement seriously as well. So let's look at just a few examples. This is Genesis 21 verses 23-24, Abraham swears by God to fulfill his promise. A man named Abimelech, and I won't go into details about who he is, asks Abraham to swear that he will deal with him fairly. This is what he says, it says now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me, or with my descendants, or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, "I will swear." A Few chapters later, Abraham had his servant Eliezer swear by God that he would not take a wife for Isaac from among a pagan tribe. Even God was known to make oaths. He swore by himself to Abraham that he would make Abraham's people a blessing to future generations. This was right after Abraham had demonstrated his obedience to God in almost sacrificing his own son Isaac. The writer of Hebrews referred to this in saying that since there was no one greater than he to swear by, God swore by himself. As written in Old Testament law, oaths were to be to only be made in God's name. In Deuteronomy 6 and 10, you'll see instructions given about swearing in God's name. Swearing in God's name made you accountable to your words with God as a witness, and by doing so, you acknowledge God as the judge. If you did not follow through on what it was you were swearing to do, God was invoked as a witness to the marriage covenant and to many more commitments. But the practice of of swearing by God's name had been taken to a place that it never should have gone. God had even warned Israel not to take these oaths lightly. Sacrifice had to be made to cover the sin of swearing by God's name lightly or thoughtlessly. Joshua even added the words, Lest wrath be upon us when considering making an oath without seriously considering what it was you were saying. But by the time Jesus walked the earth, the practice of making oaths had been completely tainted. God had established oaths to be used under certain circumstances to bring seriousness to the words that were being spoken. That guideline had been crumbled by the rabbis of Jesus' time. The use of any oath for any purpose had become the practice of the day. People were using oaths indiscriminately and insincerely, and that carelessness had produced a deep level of skepticism among God's people. Oaths had become a mark of deceit, not sincerity. Genuine oaths and vows to the Lord lost their meaning to the people who were using them and hearing them. People would swear not only by God now, but by heaven, by earth, by the temple, by the hairs on their own heads, by anything that might sound impressive to the one that they wanted to take advantage of. There was this disturbing mindset that as long as you did not swear by God, you would not be held accountable to God for not following through on what you said. So swear by something else that sounds impressive. A modern day example here: I swear on my mother's grave. Not so far removed from the people of Jesus' time, are we? Oaths were no longer made for only valid purposes, and they were no longer made on valid sources. The whole idea of oaths had been destroyed. So Jesus had something to say on the issue. And he has something to say to us, too, because this is, again, a very relevant topic for this day. And I'll show you how. Note that Jesus did not simply restate God's commands on how to properly make an oath. That's not what He did. It wasn't the way in which oaths were made that concerned Jesus. There didn't seem to be any way back from the, the mess that had resulted as a result of the, the abuse of oaths. Jesus instead, once again, went straight for the heart of the matter. He said, do not take an oath at all. Just stop it. Stop swearing by things and people. Stop swearing. Period. It's interesting that as Christians in this day and age, we, we still aren't taking Him seriously on this. In our nation, founded on biblical principles, we still maintain the practice of swearing on the Bible in court. As individuals, there seems to be this need in us to convince people that we're telling the truth by swearing that we are. Jesus said, just stop it. Stop. He even went so far as to say that carrying on in this kind of swearing is evil. He said anything more than an honest yes or no comes from evil. And the last few words can also be read as comes from the evil one. The oaths were not the issue. Jesus wasn't correcting the use of oaths. He was challenging the issue of integrity even to the point of now moving oaths from being something that God established to now being something that the devil used for his own purposes. God's law was not use oaths properly. God's law was be honest. Be honest. And Jesus was reestablishing the law of honesty, not the practice of making oaths. Let me just challenge some of you based on, on what we hear coming out of Jesus' mouths. Um, eliminate the phrase, swear to God, from your vocabulary. That kind of terminology this both making even as casually as we use it um, has now been moved to the side of the evil one. Don't use it. Don't do it. Let's not allow it to remain in our camp as those who follow Jesus. He said do not swear at all. So let's not swear at all. God's desire is clear throughout the Bible. Jesus' words are echoed in the Bible in various places. It's clear as you read that truth, honesty, and integrity are important to our Father. Psalm 51, six says this, Behold, you, God, delight in truth in the inward being, and you're teaching me wisdom in the secret heart. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, once again shows us what he learned from his brother. He had so many good things to say. This is James 5.12. James says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Jesus was clear on this. We've got to get back to being people who simply let their yes be yes and their no be no. We don't need to swear by anything or anyone. We simply need to speak the truth. We need to follow through on whatever we say or commit to. We need to be people of integrity as we represent the kingdom of God here on earth. Now, this is not easy for us, is it? This is a hard thing to do. This is such a discouraging area in our lives. Integrity stands out in our culture. It does even stands out in the church. Why? What's happening in us that we have such a hard time with integrity, especially in the realm of following through on our promises? Let's talk about this for a few minutes because I think this is a common struggle for many of us. Um, Integrity stands out here because it's rare, and it shouldn't be. It should be a common characteristic of all of us in God's family, but it isn't yes, I do struggle in this area myself, so once again, I'm preaching to a mirror here. I believe that the biggest obstacle we face in the area of integrity is ourselves. I am the reason why I choose not to be honest more often than I should. There are primarily two things about me that come into play here. The first is my desire for self-preservation. The second is my desire for self-promotion. My yes is not always my yes, and my no is not always no, because of me. I value the security of my place in society. I value my friends. I value those that I serve with. I value those I interact with on a number of different levels. I want to know that I belong in those circles. And so, ironically, I think that the way to maintain that security socially is sometimes to drop my integrity and say what I think people want to hear. I don't want anyone to think less of me, so I will say yes to something that I have no intention of fulfilling. It may even be that I can't fulfill it. Whatever the case, I'm still going to say yes so that I don't risk my security in the social realm of my life. And this intertwines nicely with our desire for significance as well as security. This is the self promotion side. Of the equation. The temptation to fabricate reality when it comes to our own lives and character is very strong. We want people to be impressed with us, don't we? So we lie, we exaggerate, we stretch, we embellish because we want to look good. This is what I can do for you. This is who I am. You like me now. Social media has only made this temptation. To be dishonest, uh, much greater, it's so much easier to lie about who you are to paint this pretty but unrealistic picture of yourself. Conformity has become one of our strongest values as a nation, so we'll say yes to everything that comes our way if we feel like doing that activity will keep us accepted in the social realm. We want to look good and fit in. We want people to think we're awesome and we're just like them. So, we go to work at fabricating a version of ourselves that people will like and accept. And our integrity goes down the toilet. We say things that aren't true. We say things that contradict what we're really thinking or feeling. And not just about ourselves, we do that a lot with each other. We try to come across as experts on things that we know nothing about. We say things to make us look just better enough than another person if that means that we're more likely than they are to be accepted. We commit to things we simply can't do because we think we'll look bad if we say no. We lie and deceive to get ahead, all the while preserving and promoting ourselves. We may not swear over everything we say, but that doesn't make the things we say any less of a lie. We simply do not let our yes be yes and our no be no. That's too risky, that's too weak too crazy. How are we going to get ahead in this world if we just tell the truth and back up what we say? Last Sunday, as we studied the subject of divorce, what do we say about God and His promises? you remember that? We looked at how faithful God is in His love for us. His love never gives up and never runs out. We looked at His love for His people and how He was not going to just turn His back on them. God made promises with His people and He delivered on every single one of those promises. God's Word was binding. If He said it would happen, it would happen. If He said, this is what I'll do, He did it. I love the transition that Jesus makes from last week's passage to this week's passage. Our commitment to the bond of marriage is a smaller but also incredibly significant covenant that we make. And God wants to see His children be true to their words. He wants to see us be true to our words because He is true to His words. Jesus showed us another amazing layer here to the integrity issue. He made a commitment to His Father that he would come to earth and carry out his Father's mission, his plan. Jesus said yes to that plan. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus wrestling with that commitment. He asks his Father if there was any way that this top, that mission, could be taken from him. But on his own, without having to be pushed, he kept his word and he obediently carried out his Father's plan, even to the point. He's been modeled for us here. It's been taught in the Bible. Jesus said to simply let our yes be yes and our no be no. He lived that out for us to show us that it's possible. And now, what's left for us is to examine our own hearts and see what needs to happen there. We struggle with this. Sometimes we think it's just not significant enough to worry about. Other times we put ourselves and our self preservation and self promotion too high on the values ladder. But whatever we do, where can we go from here? based on what Jesus is telling us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's look at a few things that we've already said yes or no to in our lives and see what we can do to reestablish the integrity that Jesus is looking this is an idea that came to me as I was studying for this message. I was seeking a direction to take this because I know that the, the oath issue Jesus was addressing is, is not really highly relevant to us as a church. Um, I wanted us to, to understand why Jesus addressed it in his sermon, which I believe we have. But I didn't feel a big need to correct us on the way that we abuse oaths in this church. Um, not a huge issue for Chapel Hill Church. But Jesus ended this part of his message with one of the simplest things that he said, but one of the hardest things that we've heard. In verse 37, he says this, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Again, the end of that verse can also be read, comes from the evil one. And this refers, of course, to the father of lies. Satan himself. Please remember that truth is central to the character of God and God's children. The fall of man had its roots in a lie and it's been a dominant sin on this planet ever since. Our lives as those who are no longer of this world are to be characterized by truth, by honesty, by integrity. So how's that going for us? is what I've been wrestling with this week. Um, I'm generally a, a pretty honest person. I don't lie very often. I generally tell the truth. Sometimes that's hard. And I'm growing and having the courage to tell the truth, to speak the truth in love especially. But I want to narrow this down for a few minutes. Jesus was specifically talking about commitment and integrity here. He talked about our yeses and our noes. So that's where I want to focus as we wrap things up in time together this morning. I want you to think about the yes statements that you made in life. Think about the yes statements that you made during your life. The most important yes you've said to someone is the yes you said to Jesus. I said yes to Jesus. And I said yes to following Him. What does that mean? I remember what we talked about last Sunday? We talked about a love that God has for His people. We talked about a love that doesn't give up, a love that doesn't run out. We talked about our Father's indescribable commitment to us. He said yes to us. He stood by His Word. His love will never give up on us. So what did our yes to Him mean? Are we following Him? Are we committed to Him as our love for Him remained steadfast. We said yes to Jesus. Did our yes mean yes? We also said yes to our spouses. Do you remember that day? I wonder how many of us can remember just what it was that we bowed to our spouses at the altar. What did your yes mean to your wife, man? Women, what did your yes mean to your husband? committed to love them through good times and bad and for the rest of our lives. We committed to support each other and to be there for each other always. So did you yes mean yes? How well are we following through on the commitment that we made in marriage? Do our marriages reflect the kind of devotion that God has to us? We said yes to our Friendships. We may not have made some kind of formal statement to our friends, but we entered into relationship with them. We said yes to loving each other, to bearing each other's burdens, to praying for each other, to holding each other accountable, to forgiving each other, to laying down our lives for each other. What do our yeses look like when we drop the ball in our friendships? We said yes to our jobs. We committed to a job description. Does our yes still mean yes? Are we fulfilling our work responsibilities as if we were working directly for God in that job? When we said yes to Jesus, we said yes to being the light of the world. Is our yes still yes in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools? Did our yes mean anything, or were we just going for the salvation part of following Jesus? Does our yes mean yes in the ministries in which we serve here in the church? Jesus said, "Let your yes be yes, and your no be no." We've talked about some yeses that we've made. Let's talk about a couple of critical noes that we've also made. When we made the decision to follow Jesus, we said no to the world, didn't we? Paul wrote in Romans 12:2 that we are no longer we are to no longer be conformed to the world and its values. When we said yes to Jesus, we said no to the world. So, what does that no mean? Does it still mean no? Are we really rejecting the world and the temporary things of this world? How well are we following through with our no? Jesus said that if any man wants to follow Him, he needs to first deny himself and take up his cross and then he can follow Him. We said no to ourselves. We said that we would remove ourselves from the center and put God there. We said no to ourselves, that we would die to ourselves. So does our no mean no? Or our self-preservation and self-promotion still at the center of our lives? This is where we start in bringing back integrity into our character. We can set our resolve to being more honest in the future, but honestly I believe that we have an opportunity before us that we should not and cannot ignore. We have made many yes and no statements in our lives. we make made commitments to some long-term things and people, even to some eternal ones. That's where I think we need to start. Start there. My yes to God needs to be revisited. My yes to my wife needs to be revisited. My yes to this ministry needs to be revisited. My no to the world needs to be revisited. My no to myself needs to be revisited. How about you? Does your yes mean yes? And does your no mean no? Start with the ones that you've already stated. Then watch rest of your yeses and noes begin to fall into place. I guarantee you it will change things moving forward. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Praise God for His counsel spoken through His Son, Jesus Christ, that can bring integrity back